There's some Sundays when it's hard to stand up here. I mean, good hard to stand. Thank you, choir and orchestra. In your worship guide, you'll find uh, our texts for today. So if you look at the end of the order of worship, there's a place that says sermon notes, and those are the texts that we're going to read. While you're finding that, I do uh, hope you'll be with us tonight at the First Missionary Baptist Church over on Blue Spring Road. Uh, They are our sister church. Twice a year we get together, and it's always a wonderful experience. And we'll meet there. Uh, The music, pre-music begins what time, Billy? 6.15. And then uh, the worship service at 6.30. Get there uh, before 6.15. Enjoy the music. Get a good seat. It's a great, it's a great experience. And um, I hope all of you will be there uh, tonight at Blue, First Missionary Baptist on Blue Spring Road. <clears throat> we are uh, a congregation, I said last week, we are a congregation of uh, generations. And um, that comes with unique challenges as well as opportunities. And so we have a choice. You know, we can, we can be a contentious, contemptuous congregation of competing generations, or we can be a cohesive, cooperative congregation of complementary generations. We are, um, we're deciding now, I believe, to be the latter. And there's some things I hope never to hear. They're from the Bible. I, I talked about five of them last week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about three of them this week. Don't get excited. The sermon is not going to be 40% shorter than it was last week. These are things that, uh, that are found in the Bible that I hope never to hear. Look down at your outline, and we'll, we're going to walk through these three. Number one, I hope I never hear, we are too old. Genesis 18, verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, I am too old to have a baby? Here's the story behind that. God had promised to Abraham and Sarah that from their offspring, from their descendants would come a great nation, which eventually became what we call the nation of Israel. But they had grown old since the days of that promise beyond their childbearing years. When three men walked by, three strangers walked by, Abraham entertained them in his tent, and um, two of them turned out to be angels in human form. One of them said, when we come by here next year, Sarah will have had a baby. Well, Sarah, 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 was eavesdropping and overheard them, and through the tent, she laughed so quickly and so loudly, she couldn't stifle it, she couldn't stop herself, and so they over. Heard her, and then she said out loud, and they heard her say, I'm too old to, to have a baby. But then, a few weeks after that, Sarah started craving bagels and matzah. She had never craved bagels and matzah before. And then one day, Abraham said, Sarah, honey, are you. You gaining weight, Abraham slept with the camels uh, that night, and, and then Sarah started waking up rather nauseous and didn't know why, and, and then one day she didn't tell Abraham, but she stopped by Walgreens on the way home and got one of those early pregnancy tests, and 
And sure enough, the, there was a big blue plus sign on that. And, and the story is that, of course, Isaac was born. And, and from Isaac did come this great nation that God had promised. But our point for this morning's story is that Sarah said, we are too old. Let me tell you another story. This comes from the story, the book of Joshua. Caleb was 40 years old, the Bible says, at the time of the Exodus, when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. Caleb was 40 years old. When they got near the promised land, you might remember the story that Moses sent 12 spies out on a reconnaissance mission to see not can we take the land, but how will we take the land? And, and they, they came back, and 10 of them said, We've made a big mistake. We cannot take the land. There, there are giants out there. There were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, oh, we can take the land. God said we could and we must, but they were outvoted. And so the people of Israel wandered for four decades out in the wilderness until Caleb now is 80 years old. They marched over into the promised land across the river Jordan, and then they began to settle the land. They began to divvy it up, which tribe would go where, which person would go where. And in Joshua 10, verse 14, Caleb speaks. He says, excuse me, Joshua 14, verse 10, he says, so here I am today, 85 years old. Now give me the hill country. They were divvying up the land. Now I've seen the hill country, some of you have too. It is rugged, it is rough. The Jordan River, the, the, the Jordan Valley is a fertile valley with palm trees and grass and the beautiful Jordan River, even more fertile then than today. When they were divvying that up, Caleb said, you know, let the young folks have the, the fertile valley. Give me the hill country. When I study to preach and teach, I learn a lot that's applicable to me. And this week I've learned something that has been real meaningful to me, and that is there are two kinds of old. There's Sarah old, and there's Caleb old. I want to be Caleb old. Sarah old says, oh, you know, leave it to the young folks. We are too old. Caleb old says, give me the hill country. I want to be Caleb old. In fact, I hope, I hope as a church, we will be Caleb old. We are 210 years old. And now we have a choice as a church. We can be Sarah old, leave it to the young churches, or we can be Caleb old that says, give us the hill country. I hope we're, we're choose to be Caleb old. The Huntsville Times, back in November, on November the 19th, I believe it was, it was a Sunday, no, the 24th, no, Sunday, November the 24th, there's a story uh, that it reads, uh, faith is part of our lives, but its role is changing. Faith is part of our lives, but its role is changing. It's about the Christian faith in the South. And there's some alarming trends that we'll get to in a moment. It talks about... Um, people not going to church anymore. It talks about different kinds of churches emerging. And on the back page, you know, they're just, it says continued on the back page. On the back page is a picture of First Baptist Church of Huntsville, right there. 
And the caption reads, First Baptist Church in Huntsville with its cosmic Christ mosaic is an iconic and well-attended church in the Huntsville area. Here we are with some people leaving the church and, and some, some churches, new churches, new kinds of churches springing up. Here we stand, 210 years old. Now, there are cooler, hipper, and groovier churches. I, I know there are. They got lights and smoke machines and all that. I, I admire them. There are mega churches, thousands and thousands of people. We're not a we're not a mega church, but I admire the mega churches. There are younger pastors who, who wear skinny jeans and who, who, who have gel in their hair that, and their hair comes up kind of to a point, you know, in the, in the middle. And they have, uh, some have soul patches, that little piece of, you know, that uh, hair right, on, right below their bottom lip or a cool goatee. Well, we don't have smoke machines and... We're not mega, and I don't have a soul patch, and you don't want to see me in skinny jeans, I promise you. <laughs> but here we stand. More of us here this year than there were here last year, whether you count worship attendance or membership. More of us here this year than last year. Beginning new forms of church for people highly unlikely ever to come to a church like this. We call them fresh expressions of church. Giving half a million dollars every year to missions causes beyond us. Here we are, 210 years old. Confounding the killjoys. Defying the defeatists. Surprising the skeptics. Here we are, still, still going. Because we have not yet said we're too old. There are two kinds of old, Sarah old and Caleb old. Let's be Caleb old. Number two on your outline, things I hope never to hear. We cannot. Nehemiah 4, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot, we cannot rebuild the wall. The story behind that, as you might remember, is that 587, the Babylonians marched into Jerusalem, and they killed a lot of Inhabitants of Jerusalem, they took the rest captive back to Babylon, present-day Iraq. They, they destroyed the temple, and they tore down in the walls. Several decades later, there was a regime change in Babylon, and the Persians overtook them, and they didn't care if the Israelites stayed or went home, and so there were lots of Israelites that decided to go back to Jerusalem. Some of them had never seen Jerusalem. But they trickled back toward uh, their homeland, and 
And when they got there, not only did they start to rebuild the temple, but they started to rebuild the walls, those iconic walls, those beautiful walls that were not only iconic and beautiful, but also necessary for their protection. And they, they gathered together and started rebuilding the walls. And their critics mocked them, Tobiah and Sanballat. Look at there, even if a fox jumps up there, he'd tear down the wall. Their enemies said, we'll attack you, we'll kill you before you get the walls done. And they grew tired. They, they worked and they worked and they worked until it, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Their critics mocked them. Their enemies threatened them. And their muscles failed them. But something happened. They reached down and they found a faith enough to stick to it, and, and Nehemiah reorganized them, organized them to work by families, and, and he posted guards along the wall. And they started, they started building. They refused to give in to the, we cannot. A lot of people would have said about this church, you cannot. A few decades ago, they would have said of you, you cannot remain downtown and thrive. You must move to the suburbs. But you didn't move to the suburbs, and you did thrive. And quite frankly, there's no place else in North Alabama I'd want a church more than at 600 Governor's Drive. In the 1970s and in the 1990s, people would have said of you, you cannot thrive. At first, in the 70s, after a big division over pastoral leadership, in the 1990s, two high-profile personnel train wrecks, they would have said, you can't survive that, but you did, and you thrived despite it. Four years ago, they might have said of us, maybe they did say of us, a church like this, a big tent like this cannot have a conversation about sexuality with different opinions and thrive, but we did. There's something, there must be something in the DNA here that says we will not acquiesce to we cannot. God has blessed this church, and we owe it to our future. Not to say, not to give in to the we cannot. I've asked our staff not to give in to a paragraph that begins with these words, we cannot because. I've asked them never to say that. Now, I'm not the king, and I'm not the pope, and they don't jump when I say, when I, they don't ask how high when I say jump. But I've said, please don't begin a paragraph with, we cannot because. Let's begin every paragraph with, we can if. Now, I'm not unrealistic and I'm not naive. I know that there are ifs that are big ifs and, and there's some plans and projects that if were, were we to pursue them, it would be not only unrealistic, but even reckless. And I'm not advocating recklessness. But I hope we will, will never, as a, I, wish, I wish I were king and I could just wave my scepter and we would never ever say, we cannot. Let's begin our paragraphs with, we can if. Two sayings I hope never to hear. We're too old and we cannot. And, and I've saved the worst one for last. It's number three there on your outline. It's Judges 2.10. 
After that generation, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. Another generation grew up who didn't know. Somebody who's been listening to me for the last couple of uh, weeks might say, Travis, you're, you're obsessed over the future of the First Baptist Church. You, um, you're just interested in the perpetuation of the institution. You're, you're wanting to make sure that, that your future is secure. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that completely. I do think about the future of our church. I do want to do our part to secure a strong future for FBC Huntsville. I know that Gordon McDonald was right when he said any church that has not turned its face toward the younger generation will simply cease to exist. We're not talking decades, we're talking just a few years. I love this church, I love its values, I love the fact that we have influence in North Alabama, and quite frankly, I think North Alabama is a better place because of you. And, and so I do want us to be strong. I do want us to secure a strong future. I do want to make sure that, that we leave it better than we found it. I do want to make sure that when none of us is here anymore, that there are more then than there are now. But there is more to it. I want you to hear my heart. There is more to it than that. Back to the Huntsville Times. So uh, on the front page, remember that the, the headline is, faith is part of our lives, but its role is changing. On the front page, there is a statistic, and this is Pew Research. This is, these, are the, these are the really good, accurate researchers. In 2000, this is, okay, those who identify as Christians in the South. We're not talking about the Northwest. We're not talking about the Northeast. The South. Those who identify as Christian in the South. 2009, 82%. 2019, 70%. 10 years, 12% drop. I wasn't sure how to do the math. I went into Allison Hoskins' office and asked her. She said, that's, she said, that's 1.2% per year. I know you're ahead of me, but I, English was my forte, not, uh, not math. But Travis, 70%, that's still more than two-thirds. That's good. All right, well, let's, uh, let's fast forward this week into the life of our church. A beautiful little girl named Addison was born. So let's fast forward 18 years to the day that Addison walks across the stage and graduates from high school. So let's, let's fast forward. You didn't know what that sounded like, did you? But that's what it sounds like to fast forward. 18 years. If the trend is not reversed, Addison will graduate from high school in a South that is 48% Christian. Now, that's alarming to me. This is not just about securing a good future for the First Baptist Church of Huntsville. It is true that, um, that the church needs young adults. It is also true that young adults need the church. So I do 
I love this church so much, I want it to be strong in the future, but I, I look at that, I look at Addison's future too. Lots of us are concerned about the next generation. Some of us are concerned about our own children and our grandchildren. Would you look at the front of your worship guide, please? There's a painting there. I want you to look that over. Look at the chasm, look at the stream. And I want you to hear a story I told back when I was the interim preacher. It goes like this, an old man traveling a lone highway came in the evening cold and gray to a chasm, vast and deep and wide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The swollen stream held no fear for him, but he turned when safe on the other side, and he built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, cried a fellow pilgrim near, you're wasting your time in building here. Your journey will end at the close of day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head, Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there follows after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This stream, which has seemed as naught to me, to that fair-haired youth may pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. Now let's unpack that a little bit. So here's a man in the twilight, in the Evening, cold and gray, so we know that this is symbol, it's metaphor, it's poetry to symbolize this is a man at the end of his life. And he crosses this, this raging stream and he gets to the other side, symbolic of the fact that anybody who reaches the end of life has, has navigated some hardships, has, you know, has, has crossed some really tough places and, and so this this man, when he gets on the other side of the stream in the twilight of his life, turns around and he builds a bridge across that dangerous and frightening chasm. Now, he could have said, you know, if I crossed it, then they ought to have to cross it too. But instead, he makes it a little bit easier for the next generation. That poem, poem was written by a member of the builder generation, which is the generation before mine. So someone wrote about, about me and my generation. We are the fair-haired youth that he talked about in that poem. So somebody, uh, a, a generation beyond me, wrote, hey, let's... Let's turn around and let's do something for those who follow in our footsteps. Let's apply that now to faith. There is a chasm between hopelessness and hope, between darkness and light, between lost and found, between no faith and the Christian faith. And 
And somebody asked me after the 815 service, so where's, where are all these people going if the, if the, if the percentage is, pl- is plummeting? The fastest growing religion in America is the nuns, N-O-N-E, the nuns. And so we're, there's this great chasm, and it seems to be getting bigger between culture and faith, this chasm that seems to be growing ever larger. Most of us in this room have crossed that chasm. And we could say, you know, At least it's okay with me. Remember Hezekiah last week? The prophet said to him, it's going to be really bad for the generations behind you. The Bible says Hezekiah was thinking, at least it will be okay for my generation. At least I'll be here and they'll be around to give me a good funeral and let the next generation fend for themselves. But here's a guy who says, you know, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to, I'm going to build a bridge for those who follow me. So hear that story again with that in mind. An old man traveling a lone highway came in the evening, cold and gray, to a chasm, vast and deep and wide. The old man crossed in the twilight dim. The swollen stream held no fear for him. But he turned, when safe on the other side, and he built a bridge to span the tide. Old man, cried a fellow pilgrim near, you're you're wasting your time in building here. Your journey will end at the close of day. You never again will pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build you this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his old gray head. Good friend, in the path I have come, he said, there follows after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This stream, which has seemed as naught to me, to this fair-haired youth may pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I'm building this bridge for him. So even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O Lord, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. 499 is the hymn that we're going to sing.